As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. give all that we got, All right, guys, the Pro One Texas Two-Step, presented by Sherman Racing Engines, was scheduled for this weekend, March the 11th through the 15th, at the Texas Motorplex. Uh, CP Promotions, Cody Pollage, has postponed the event due to a lot of weather coming through. Two inches of rain are forecasted, and they were just left with no choice and didn't want people to come waste their time and money. So great decision on the part of CP Racing Promotions. They have moved the event to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday now, April 9th through the 11th of 2020. Now, the box racers get the same weekend entry of 650 for a 10K on Thursday, 20K on Friday, and a 50K on Saturday. The no-box racers will have the same $400 weekend entry for a 5K on Thursday, 5K on Friday, and 12.5 to win on Saturday. So, Complete event details and a flyer coming soon from CP Racing Promotions. They want everybody to know what the plan is, and they want to thank you for your support and your interest in the event. So please share with everybody and stay up to date. Check them out, CP Racing Promotions, April 9th through the 11th, back at the Texas Motorplex with the Pro One Texas Two-Step, presented by Sherman Racing Engines. Returning for the 2020 season, the IHRA brings the Sportsman Spectacular presented by Haggerty and Moser Engineering to a track near you. The first event of the season takes place at Farmington Dragway, bringing one of the best values in drag racing to North Carolina. Stay tuned for all of the awesome details of this year's events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. It's time for The Big Interview 
on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jen. All right, as part of our 2019 Champions Interviews, uh, we're, we've got the 2019 NHRA Stock Eliminator World Champion on the phone. It is great to have Allison Dahl. You know her as Allie. Allie, how are you tonight? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. Very well. I appreciate you asking, and, and thanks for giving us some time tonight. We really appreciate uh, you coming on to take us through your championship season. I really appreciate you guys for having me. Yes, not a problem. So, Allie, I always like to let our listeners know where our uh, interviewee is talking to us from. So, where are you tonight? I'm, uh, well, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm in Douglas, Massachusetts, which, if you look at a map, and you'll see where Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island kind of come together. I'm pretty much right on top of that point. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So uh, I guess they consider that New England area. So um, Most definitely, yes. All right. <laughs> Patriots. So oh, Patriots. Football. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm an Eagles fan. There's still a lot of hard feelings from a few years ago, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> That's right. All good. <laughs> Allie, what do you do for a living? I know that. I know the answer, but let's tell our listeners. So I'm an electrical engineer by trade, and I work at my family's business, which is Porter Tree Timing Systems. I do all the product development there. So like the Eliminator Next Gen and Porter Tree Pocket, I design all those things. Um, I try to talk to others to figure out what features you guys want to see or even that I want to see in a practice tree. And then I put it into my work and hopefully make some of the best practice trees on the market the absolute best uh obviously you've been a supporter of the show and we've discussed your products quite a bit over the years and um really you guys do a wonderful job of getting the customer what they need to get better you know you're not just putting silly features in here and there you're you're really doing things that are helping the racers get better. And that's not a product plug by any means. It's just a, a thank you from a racer standpoint for giving us great products like that. Well, I really appreciate it because, you know, as an engineer, sometimes I feel work. Um, I don't always get the happy comments. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want all comments to be happy, but usually as the engineer, I get what people don't like, which is good too, because then sure. I try to, fix it and make it better and make it what you do want so but i do appreciate the good comments as well yeah i know our listeners appreciate your products as well Allie, you really went to cornell yes <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh that's serious school i mean you could possibly be the the smartest person that i've ever talked to but i know you're the smartest that i've ever interviewed i mean that's a uh, that's high learning at Cornell. It was a great experience going there. And, you know, there's so many down to earth people that go there and it's, it was just great. I learned a lot. Now I'm of the lower learning uh, group. So, I, but I don't think you just go to Cornell and say, Hey, I'd like to go to school here. I mean, you, it, it's almost, it seemed like you'd have to be kind of invited there. Uh, t tell me how you got yeah, into so Cornell. I I was, I applied, um, when I was an undergraduate, I wasn't sure if I wanted to just go into the workforce or if I wanted to continue my learning. So I actually went to Cornell for my master's and 
what made the decision was that uh, at the time, my dad basically told me he didn't want me coming out of college and just going to work for the family company. So I hadn't really given much thought to where I wanted to work. So I'm like, hey, let's just go back to school. And <laughs> so looking at the list of places to apply, I was looking at Cornell's program and they had a very hands-on program that allowed you to kind of, you could actually build stuff. You didn't have to just go and learn theory. And I, I love to build things. So that was kind of what pushed me in the direction to apply there. I really only applied to two schools to do my master's and I got into both of them. And so then when I got into Cornell, I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that makes it official. You are the smartest person I've ever talked to. So where is Cornell? I know I looked it up, so I know where Cornell is, but I wouldn't have known. Tell our listeners where Cornell is. It's in Ithaca, New York, on the tip of one of the Finger Lakes. It's really beautiful up there. Um, they have these gorges, which are kind of like, I, there's conflicting theories on how they were made, but one of the ideas was that the when the icebergs were retreating from the Ice Age, they formed these giant like crevices in the earth. And they're really beautiful now. Like you look down, you can see these little streams going through them. But uh, so the the kind of, I don't know, like saying about Ithaca is Ithaca is gorgeous. Gorgeous. Get it? (laughs) Okay, we don't have to laugh. (laughs) No, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, and and it's up there and it's a beautiful area. Um, It was a little bit stressful going to school there. But at least, you know, while you're walking to school, you can enjoy the nice scenery. Yeah, well, I guess that's just an added benefit to receiving an education like that. So you uh, you obviously left there and have, uh, did you went straight into the family business? No, I, uh, again, my dad's rule, but it gave me more time to think about what I wanted to do. And I actually went to work for Raytheon and I worked in the air traffic control business not like as an air traffic controller, but working on the software for the systems that control the in-route air traffic. So whenever there was a problem on the in-route air traffic system, which if you fly a lot, you probably don't want to know, but whenever there was a problem, the problem would get sent to me and I would tell them if the problem was a software problem, a hardware problem, not really a problem (laughs) and stuff like that. Allie, I knew I wasn't real smart before this interview, but uh, I feel much, much dumber at this point. So I'm going to get into a subject that I'm much more familiar with, and that's racing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Tell our listeners your racing history. I mean, who got you started? When did you start? Where did you start? You know, the basic stuff. Yeah. So I started racing when I was eight years old. Um, My dad was into racing well before I was born, but he never, I guess he didn't really have the money to afford an actual drag car. So when the junior racing started, he was all excited. That was our first family race car. Um, He was more excited about it than I was actually. So (laughs) when we went to the track the first time, I was so nervous. I like, I didn't want to get in the car and, and then we got in it and I made like three laps and I'm like, yep, I'm done. And at that point, my brother jumped in it, who was underage, but like he was just drooling to get in this dragster and he drove it like straight into a wall. (laughs) And at that point, (laughs) I was like, and I am done. 
So I got into juniors at, at the absolute youngest age we could at the time. And then I decided to take a, um, I guess a five year break. Um, in that time, my brother came of age and began actually racing my old junior and he was doing great and having a lot of fun. And I saw how much fun he was having. And I'm like, you know what, this kind of looks kind of fun now. So I jumped in it again and I just fell in love with it instantly. Funny how a little bit of time and, and maturity will change things a little bit. Went, went from not wanting anything to do with it to falling in love. So I tell everyone to have a young girl. Cause, you know, I find that a lot of young girls aren't as eager to jump in as mm-hmm. the boys. But I tell them, you know, don't worry. She's going to see how much fun her brother's having or other siblings having or sister. And it's not going to be a problem. I'm sure that uh, that advice helps a lot. Where was that start, Allie? Where were you, where'd you start racing? So I guess the first time I ever got in the junior, it was like a parking lot. <laughs> in those <laughs> days, like, you know, people would just throw some sensors down a parking lot and bam, you're going. But yeah, like it was like a pop-up race in, in a parking lot of a hotel. And, wow. but then when I was 14, 13, 14, we did most of our race in probably at Lebanon Valley. And one year we actually raced juniors at uh, English town. So of, of course. course, raceway parks no longer in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. They had they had an excellent junior program. They had four classes. They probably had about 80 juniors almost in each of the classes every oh week. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It was the mecca of drag racing, junior drag racing at the time. Uh, like, everyone was there and, you know, the, the epicenter, I would say, of junior drag racing. Um, yeah. Of course, being where it was founded. Yeah, I've never heard of a program any better than that, for sure. Um, it was so, great. So obviously you got your start there. And, uh, from that point, when you graduated out of juniors, did that take you right into the, the class stuff or did you, you try something different? Um, my, at the time my dad had built a race, uh, super stock car. So he was running the Lucas oil points races. So when I, graduated from juniors it was kind of a natural step to go into the class racing with him just our family was already kind of split up because my brother was still junior racing and my dad was running the um, points races so it kind of made sense to have me go with my dad and then my brother would go with my mom to continue doing the junior races oh cool okay and now obviously you're in stock eliminator as you are the 2019 NHRA world champion. Tell us about the ride that you accomplished that amazing accomplishment in your, your stalker is a what? It's a 98 Pontiac Firebird with an LT1 motor. Uh, the motor's done by BES racing engine and it's got a metric 200 or turbo 200 uh, yeah, metric 200 transmission originally from turbo action but now it's done by satanic racing transmissions okay and um you run in what category in stock eliminator the car is a 
A, B, C car, but I run it mostly in B. Um, after our last, so like in stock eliminator with the class hits where you go too fast, you get, have to add weight. After the last time I had to add weight to the car, it became very difficult for me to run it in C. I just, I'm so small myself that there's just not enough area on the car to hang the weight. Yeah. And, and at A, it really likes running an A, but the index is a lot harder. So when you run an A, you're actually a worse car against the index. So that becomes difficult as well. Yeah, and B is no easy class in itself. There's a there's a ton of great competitive cars in B. So, uh, you know, you obviously have to be on top of your game. You have to work the ladder to your favor and and. There's a lot more to it than just going down the racetrack. Oh yeah, it's it's become quite quite a challenge, um, especially at national events because it seems that even though the field size is smaller, uh, there still seems to be the same number of B cars. <laughs> so yeah. while it might be hack, like easy to hide from eight B cars when there's 120 stalkers it becomes quite difficult to hide from eight B cars when there's only 50 stalkers. So it's become challenging. Very good point, which uh, if anybody understand, anybody out there understands how the class racing works and the ladders work, you know, it is a, it's constant thought and preparation from the time you arrive and look at the entry list. And I mean, it's work. It really is, which is, makes it way more impressive what you've accomplished Allie. your your point total alone was very impressive and without me giving away how impressive it was just right off the bat um first of all give us your point total what did you score in stock eliminator this year i believe it was 689 points which is a lot of darn points i mean a lot of a lot of points and you you know again for our listeners that aren't as familiar with how it works, you get a certain amount of divisional claims, certain amount of national claims. Um, <laughs> Allie, I mean, tell us about your, your season in terms of your divisional and national claims. I mean, tell us about your divisional record. Uh, it truly is remarkable. I have five divisional wins, which is a perfect divisional score. You can, you can claim five. Out of how many? I can clean five. Out of eight. That's correct. And all five of yours were holding the trophy at the end. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, that is extremely difficult for the most seasoned veterans. And it's not like you just show up and, and you can, you know, poke your chest out and drive to the lanes and, and you got the fastest B car in the country, no offense, you know, you, you, it's so much work to position yourself accordingly and to, you know, stay on your game mentally and you go five for five on your claims and divisionals. I mean, truly remarkable. You know, I'm sure that's the plan going in, Allie, but how do you explain your dominance? Yeah. You ever see like Happy Gilmore when he, like gets the hole in one. He's like, I should just do that every time. <laughs> well, 
you know, I kid about that now and then. It's like, oh, I should just go in and win them all. I mean, that would just make this thing, this points chase thing so much easier. But I mean, obviously, it's just kind of a joke. (laughs) But uh, easier said than done. Um, Well, you know, was that was the plan all along for you to go into the season hitting the the max amount of races and seeing where you landed, or did you just after a couple of wins, you were like, well, wait a minute now, I need to I need to keep this up. Yeah, so actually, I usually plan to go to the close races, which is pretty much all the Division One events. So already that comes to about seven divisionals and three nationals. So it's, it's not a full season, but it's pretty close. I mean, seven divisionals is just one shy of the eight. And three nationals, I mean, we're allowed six altogether. So, really, it's only four races shy of a, of a full season. Yeah. So. That being said, like, yeah, it's, it, we're already halfway there or more than halfway there. Yeah, and and obviously there's a, a national event uh, side to this that uh, you have to continue to do well. The divisionals, winning, winning all five-year claims in divisionals really puts you in great position, but the nationals matter as well. Um, you know, so poss- possible more points because of the amount of rounds that, that you'll go here and there at some events. So tell us about your national claims, Allie. So the national claims, um, didn't go nearly as well as the divisionals, <laughs> but, uh, the, I, I think I went to the quarterfinals at two of the nationals and I think I had to claim a second round loss at one of the nationals. So usually when you're claiming a second round loss in stock eliminator, you're probably not looking at a world championship season. Not that like all the NHRA classes are very tough, but stock seems to be pretty ruthless on, especially if you have a lot of uh, early round exits. And um, if you look at the last few seasons, I don't think, I think a fourth round exit would probably have been the lowest that someone would have claimed yeah which makes Um, it all the more impressive you know a a couple of quarterfinal finishes those are good days at national event you know that's you're talking three to four days of um the grind of making your time run sitting for a day or so making a time run and then getting out there and and running the actual race so those things are, are fairly grueling at times so quarterfinal finishes are good days at national events. The second round loss, as you said, is not typical of what a champion has on their resume or their claims, but it's also not typical for them to, to go perfect in the divisional. So obviously that was a major factor in your championship season. The divisionals definitely made up for it. And the other kind of funny thing about my season, like if you look at the races, I did not start out very strong. I mean, I did the one of the first race I went to was part of my final points claim, but it it was a it was a quarterfinal loss. And I mean, it's not that it's not a good start. It's a great in my opinion, I, I was extremely happy for my first race out to, you know, go to the fourth round. But like in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't have said, Oh wow, I'm off to a fantastic start. I'm gonna win the championship this year. <laughs> Yeah, probably not thinking, uh, you know, that positioned you exactly where you wanted to be, but uh, that that obviously changed fairly quickly once those divisionals got rolling. 
Um, yeah. It, and then um, I think I went, so I went to Virginia and it was a fourth rounder. And then I went to Maple Grove and I lost third round. And then I went to Chicago and I lost first round. And I'm, so I really wasn't thinking too positively by the fourth race out. <laughs> well, obviously that, that made a turn for the better. And, you know, again, it really had a dream season. Uh, you know, if you had laid it out prior to the season, what you wanted to accomplish, uh, that, that had to fit right in there. Exactly. Exactly where you wanted to be. But, you know, what, when you're off to that slow start, what, what keeps you focused and, and so committed to it, Allie? Well, a lot of times when I look at the runs that I'm losing and I look at the run and I say, you know, I really didn't do anything wrong here. It just wasn't my day and the wind light didn't come on and that's okay. It makes it a lot easier to go to the next race and say, you know what? I haven't really been doing anything wrong. I just got to keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully the light will shine in my lane. <laughs> and that's a great way to, to look at it. Very good point. Yeah, it, it's really easy to get down on yourself and to get negative. But at the end of the day, if, if you're doing the best you can and you're really putting your best foot forward and you're making each race the best race you possibly can make it, there's really nothing else you can do but stay positive and keep trying. Excellent. Very well said. So at what point in the season, you know, did you go... Hey, wait a minute. This is uh, this is starting to look pretty darn good here. Uh, you know, I, I might have a shot at this. So you really can't talk about the stock eliminator season this past year without mentioning Joe Santangelo, who's also mm. a Division One racer. Yeah. Joe had an incredible season. He really did. Yeah. And unlike me, he kind of did the opposite, where he started on fire and then kind of slowed towards the end of the year. And like, when I say slowed, I mean, instead of winning like every weekend, he was only winning like every two weekends. <laughs> so, I mean, Joe had an awesome year. And so when I, by the time I started like racing and um, putting, you know, putting wins together, it was about, I think I won my first race in mid June. And then, I won another one. I didn't win another one until mid-August. Uh, one of the races I was at between that time got rained out. So while I was still in at that race, I hadn't won it. So I, by mid-August, I only had two wins to the whole season. Wow. At that point, Joe had already put up a really impressive point score in both the divisionals and national. So... At that point, like if you had said to me, oh, you're going to be competing with Joe for the world championship this year, I would have been like, Haha, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just realistically. Sure. Um, it wasn't till probably August, like late August, uh, right before Indy, we are at Cecil County Dragway. I, man I managed to win that event. It was crazy. It was, there was a thunder and lightning storm going by the track as we're running the finals, like I remember staging or pre-staging and a bolt of lightning struck down past the end of the track. 
Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, stop looking at the lightning, focus on the tree. You have to win this round. <laughs> <laughs> Which thinking back is probably a crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I keep wondering, um, so my opponent, Redlet, uh, Jerry McNeish, and I keep thinking maybe he was watching the lightning too, because it was, it was crazy. You know, you could just see everything. Yeah, I'm but, sure with that going on, it was hard to get it out of your, your view and your, your thoughts. But, you know, you, yeah, you talked about, and, Joe, and I meant to mention that a couple of uh, a couple of questions back, that Division One, all divisions are extremely difficult. Don't get me wrong, but Division One has some major talent in it. So, you know, the, the perfect divisional record there is even way more impressive when you look down those qualifying sheets and see some of the names that run division one in stock eliminator. Uh, that is a talented, have, talented division. We also have a lot of stock eliminator racers. So we have on average, probably between 90 to 110 stockers at each event. So it's a big field, but you're exactly right. And yeah, Joe Santangelo, Anthony Fetch, Lee Zane, I mean, uh, there's so many good racers up here. It, it is crazy. Yeah, there's some veterans up there that's been doing it a long time and done it well for a long time, too. So you you obviously late in the season, getting toward the fall, and you, you feel like you got a shot at this thing. Uh, Allie, what do you think your biggest challenge was to chasing down this championship? Do you, you know, you talked about how you were – planning to go to certain amount of races, so that wasn't as big a deal. What do you think was most challenging for you? Was it the fact that you you let yourself believe, hey, I can win this? Was it added pressure on you? What do you think your your biggest challenge to overcome was? That's a good question. Um, I think it's when, so after that race at Cecil, I knew I had a chance at the division. And then when we finished the makeup race, the Lebanon Valley makeup race, and we finished that, I think the first weekend in September, when we finished that race, that's when it kind of occurred to all of us, Hey, we got to chase the national points here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're in a good, you know, this is a good position to be in. So at that point, it's the first week in September and we're kind of looking at what races are left and to get to enough nationals and still go to the remaining divisionals. We had to race, I think it was seven out of the eight remaining weeks <laughs> and like the eight out of the next eight consecutive weeks in a row, we would have to go racing seven of them. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And that, is extremely challenging. Yeah. And the challenge of it is if you don't do well in an event, you don't have time to ponder about it, you know, and kind of recover. You have to recover instantly, you know, pretend it didn't happen or however you want to erase it from existence. And um, I tried to like make myself, I think, you know, a lot of it is the mental aspect of it because it is a lot of pressure you're putting on yourself. So it did help me that I wasn't really thinking about it until September. But then in September, when I was thinking about it, I was really thinking about it. You know, it was like more than just as if I had been thinking about it all along. 
if that makes yeah. any sense. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Yeah, the the mental uh, part that we we go through and the, the the pressure we put on ourselves typically is the the hardest part to overcome. And you know, you had to be feeling that down the stretch, and and you overcame it, which is uh, again very 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 impressive. Um, and you you yeah. can't have any can't have any equipment failure either, Allie, when you're, when you're seven out of eight weekends, you know, the car can't break the, the, the truck, the motor home, the trailer, whatever, none of that stuff can fail. It's kind of funny that you said that because, um, when, so Virginia was our, uh, Virginia divisional was our, um, third to last event. And our plan was to drive down to Virginia, park the trailer, you know, race Virginia, then go to Charlotte, then go to Rockingham. So, from Uxbridge in Douglas, Massachusetts, down to Virginia, that's about 12-hour drive. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we weren't going to go back and forth. You know, we're just going to continue on our way south until we're done. Um, but when we got to Virginia, we parked the trailer, truck and trailer, in the um, in the track, and an official comes over like to tell us that they need us to move. We hop in the truck to move it, and it gives us a transmission code error. <laughs> Oh boy. And it's like, oh. And so I'm just thinking, oh man, how are we getting to the next track? And my dad's like, how are we going to get home, you know, eventually? (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, you know, we disconnected the battery, you know, bam, we're back up and running again. But yeah. Well, Again, you got to be pretty fortunate to to not have any failures and, and your equipment held up well. And, Got you from place to place. That's that's huge part of it. So, um, Allie, tell me about. I, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, the other thing with equipment failure in my 2018 season, I'm pretty sure I broke every possible thing I possibly could have broken on the Firebird. <laughs> uh, so, I, <laughs> it's just that uh, I don't know if you go down look at my facebook page from 2018 i broke a rocker stud and the car was still idling fine you you could only tell it was broken on the run so we had no idea um which was the most interesting break i've ever done i broke the opti spark which is anyone who has a lt1 firebird of my generation knows that it's the worst part ever invented and probably would like to have a few words with gm engineers (laughs) Um, I think we broke two transmissions. We broke a a rim, a front wheel. Actually, it tore open. It looked like someone took a can opener to it. And it was just these weird things just constantly Mm -hmm. breaking in 2018. It was was both incredible and terrible at the same time. Yeah, those, those make tough seasons even more difficult for sure. Totally redeemed yourself in 2019, so I know you're past all that breakage. It it definitely felt good to be able to go a whole season with the car in one piece and happy. Uh, I bet. So, Allie, tell me about where you finally sealed the, the deal, the championship. Now, a lot of times late in the season, this is not a run you make, but it's a run someone else makes. Which way did it play out for you? Was it a lap you made or was it a lap you watched play out? So I took the points lead at Rockingham. So it it kind of was twofold. It was a lap someone else made that sealed the championship. 
but it was a lap that I made to put me in the lead for the championship. Okay. Excellent. So, so the, I was at Rockingham, which was the final points race that I could claim for the year. So there was a lot of pressure. I had to win third round in order to take the points lead from Joe. Joe had, like I said, basically been leading the points all year. So Joe actually flew down and was uh, running one of Anthony Bertozzi's cars at Rockingham. So there's the added pressure that Joe's there trying to, you know, get me on the ladder. Play blocker, yeah. Still the, pr- yeah, trying to block. So I'm looking at the ladder. I'm trying to avoid these D stalkers because uh, anyone that's familiar with Stock Eliminator, there's these new 2015 Camaros that they're like the brand new Camaros, but they fit in B. And obviously they haven't been hit at all. So they're ridiculously fast against the index. So there's like two or three of them and I'm trying to avoid them, avoid Joe, stay away from this guy. You know, I think mentally grueling. It really is. Honestly, like when the ladder came out, I was just like, ah, yeah, (laughs) like so relaxed. (laughs) It's like, I think, the Camaros are on the other side of the ladder and Joe is on the other side of the ladder. I'm just like, how did I do this? This is awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Because the, the late model Camaro deal, they ought to call that BS stock alley to put those cars in the same class that traditional stocker like you're in has to run. And the differences in their ability to run and challenge the index or destroy it for that matter. Ah. NHRA's let some of that get away from them, and I'm not here to talk bad about them by any means. But there needs to be a reevaluation, and they they need to find some of those. Um, well, you know, you, when I said BS stock, I really didn't think about it at the time, but they could call it that, you know, like a FS or whatever. But well, they need to find them a yeah. different category because it's ruining, it, it's making it more challenging for cars like yours, and and that's a stocker that you want to see out there competing like you have. It's it's really difficult, and I mean, the way I kind I kind of look at Indy as the uh, measuring stick for stock eliminator, and I look at what cars can qualify at Indy and what cars cannot. And if you look at the stock eliminator qualifying list from Indy for the last five or so years, I will guarantee that only one LT1 Firebird has made it in the field, if any, for the last five years, which means we're either factored incredibly wrong or everyone else is factored incredibly wrong. You know, there's, there's something going on. And yeah. I, I do believe my, my combo is factored in well, too. We've been hit too hard over the years, but it definitely doesn't help us at all that we're trying to run against some of these other guys that, are underfactored. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, if, for those that, that are not familiar with how the class racing works, you can't imagine the challenge of positioning yourself accordingly on the ladder to give you a, a realistic opportunity to win. And then you got to go out and do the racing after that. So, you know, again, for those of us that understand it, Allie, it just makes it so much more impressive what you accomplish. Not just the actual driving from stripe to stripe, but positioning yourself where you get a, a fair and real opportunity to win. 
is equally impressive because I know how difficult it is. It is. And, you know, and there's some points you just can't avoid the heads ups any longer and you just have to do your best you can. And, but that's all part of stock. And I love all of stock and it's definitely challenging. (laughs) Yeah, it is challenging. But as you said, you, you know what you're signing up for when you sign up. So yeah, every now and then I question myself, like when, uh, I had to run Gary Richards heads up first round at the Eppings national this past year. And, uh, it's just, if I could have written a story, like a life story at that point, I would have been like, well, here I go questioning my life choices again. What is going the opening line? <laughs> yeah. It's tough staging for races that you, you don't feel like you've, you've got a chance, but you know, again, that's all part of it. And, and you made it work. Um, oh yeah. It's, it's uh, just got to keep plugging away. Yeah, and I, I'm a little hesitant to ask you this question, but I, I feel like I have to because, you know, the the female influence in our sport is is growing. There are tons of talented female racers, and, you know, it's not so impressive that they're talented because they're females, but getting females interested in this type of racing is challenging. You're you're in a a male dominated sport, Allie. That's that's not a knock on you. That's no secret. That is fact. Do you do you use that as motivation? I don't think at this point your opponents look at you as anything other than a very good racer in the other lane, capable of winning. But does that motivate you? Does it piss you off a little? What do you? <laughs> how do you feel about it? Or is it just no big deal to you? Um. I go back and forth. Like, I, honestly, so my field being electrical engineering, it's pretty male-dominated field, too. So I feel like even through college and everything, I've been pretty much surrounded in everything I do, whether my hobbies or my, you know, profession has been mostly men. So I'm kind of used to being around all you guys. And <laughs> I think it's more uh, sometimes people aren't as used to racing girls Um, in division one there's a lot of female racers in stock eliminator so we definitely have a good mix up here but I think it's kind of neat that at this stage I have the um, opportunity to like for example I was the first female stock eliminator champion and I think it's really cool but when I was you know trying to accomplish the championship it wasn't on my mind. I didn't even know. I thought there had been someone else. So I didn't even realize it, but I just wanted to be the best racer that I possibly can be, not necessarily the best female. You know what I mean? It, sure. I just, I want to put my best foot forward and, and always do my best so that, and at the end of the day, I just want to be the best racer I can be, not necessarily the best female racer. Yeah, that I, could be. <laughs> I understand that, and I think that's the right mentality. And actually, early in the podcast, Luke and I interviewed Erica Anders, and I think she said almost word for word that exact same thing. So, um, you know, we don't understand what it's like to, to compete in a sport that's dominated by a different gender. You do, and, you know, it's great to hear that it's really no big deal to you. You, you just go out there and race. You're a racer just like they are, and the same – goals and and mission when you get on the racetrack and you accomplish it obviously the first female 
uh, NHRA Stock Eliminator World Championship. That that has to, although you don't view yourself as a female racer and you're just a racer, that that has to be extra special. It it definitely is very special, and I think it's kind of funny because I I mean most of the time when I race someone, I'm going to be racing a man, <laughs> just like you know the odds. It's actually more strange, like when I have to race like Katie Sapanic or you know someone, uh, one of the girls, because I'm like, oh my god, wow, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? And you know, <laughs> haven't raced you in a while. So it, that's more like, oh wow, I'm racing a girl this round. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> not that, that it's any different, different, but it's just <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that it's anything really different. But I mean, well, Katie's a really tough racer, no matter what. So not always around I'd be looking forward to, but I'm always hoping though, that maybe we'll have a, a female final round in division one. We've come, we actually came close a couple times this year, uh, but I think it's coming soon because like I said, we were close so many times last year that who knows. Yeah. Well, obviously um, you, you accomplished something rare actually i don't even know if rare fits it because it's never been done so you uh you did it in very impressive style and you know you definitely put the world on notice if they wasn't already Allie, that that you're here and able to to get it done and you know what does 2020 look like for you pretty much the same thing you you, you're looking at the same type of schedule and, and goals and missions uh, the schedule looks pretty similar, and uh, this year, uh, Doug, so my husband Doug is actually putting together a top dragster slash super comp car, mm-hmm. so we're um, definitely going to be trying to make a lot of races for him, especially so he can get a lot of seat time in the car, but the thing is, the schedule really got mixed up this year because they moved around a lot of the nationals, so I'm not sure I can go to all the same races that I went to last year I'll still be able to go to all the division one races but the few out of division races we do go to I'm not sure they'll all fit in the same way so that's kind of a struggle but definitely going to start out um we have more divisionals earlier in the year this year which might be a good thing or I I don't know I guess we'll see (laughs) but uh Hey, it'll be fun to go to tracks at different times of year. Well, I'm I'm sure, and I was a, I was about to ask you uh, pretty much here before we wrapped up if uh, I, I think I read it right where Doug was um, pretty much skipping the 2020 season and some doors open that uh, that's going to get him back onto the racetrack. Is that correct? Yeah, so it, it's been kind of a uh, a bit of a roller coaster off season, so. He uh, he bought a um, a used Miller car from uh, Chris Wilson, who was also his engine builder. And Chris was going to do an engine deal with him, but some unfortunate things happened. By you know, not Chris's fault or Doug's fault, just you know, some unfortunate things. So the motor deal kind of got messed up per se. Mm-hmm. But then another door opened and we found another motor and now uh, it's looking good once again. So definitely hoping, um, excited that Doug will be able to do 
quite a bit of racing this year. I'm sure. And Hopefully, I, as much as he wants. <laughs> yeah. So I, that that was uh, was what, what I was wondering was will it create more racing for you, less racing, or or not really have an impact on it? The hard part is that uh, Doug sometimes helps me get you know takes my car to the track when for example my brother or my parents don't want to go racing and so we don't have a trailer that can take both the stalker and a dragster right now so it might be challenging if uh my brother doesn't want to go to the track or my family uh doesn't want to go to the track but i think we'll find a way to make it work we usually either take turns or find some other way to get one of the cars there yeah Racers always will, find a way. A way. <laughs> always find yep. a way as a racer. All right. When so, there's a will, there's a way. So, Allie, nobody competes on the level that you're competing on and, and getting the results that they get without people helping them get not only down the track but to the track. I know you got a list of folks that, that help you out. Who's on the list? So, first, the companies. Um, BES Racing Engines, they're awesome. Uh, whenever I have questions, I can call them, text them, and they help me out a ton. Mickey, Mickey Thompson Tires, Tom Kundrick, he's great. Uh, you know, winning, not spinning, and it's true. I uh, <laughs> love my Mickeys. <laughs> Ultimate Converter Concepts, uh, I have a friend, Lenny Croto, there that does great work on converters. The Panic Racing Transmissions. Um, Holly EFI, uh, of course, Portetry, and um, also ATI and Stroud Safety. They've given me so much support, and that's really what makes the Firebird as good of a car as it is. Yeah. Um, uh, then there's – oh, go ahead. No, I'll, I'll go ahead. Finish your list by all means. <laughs> and then there's my friends. Um Allison, Patty, Charlie, Bubka, they take care of me when I'm at the track. If they notice I'm not eating, they, they make me eat, which is very important when you're racing. <laughs> yes. Um, Donnie Moulton, he's like a brother to me. Uh, he, he races with us a lot, and he's just always there to help out. Don, Mary, and Kevin Scholl, they're also like a little bit of extended family, and they take care of us if, when we're at the track. Um, Nick Masso who's kind of like another adopted brother of mine. Uh, Nick is a great mechanic and just great guy. And he's definitely an asset to have on the team. Uh, Mike Epperick, who was giving me rides around the pit this year, every time our golf cart broke down, which was <laughs> extremely helpful. <laughs> um, but he's a great friend and, and uh, a great helper. My parents, Alan Sue Smith, I could not do my racing without them. They are amazing. Uh, Doug's family, Doug and Tina Dahl, Kathy Scott and Cody Binkley, they came and support us at the races, and it's great having them. But the two most important people that the Firebird would not get to the races or go down the track without them, my brother, Steve, who is an amazing fabricator and welder. Um, he absolutely hates working on the Firebird because it's not a Mopar. But <laughs> the, the car would not be as good as it is without him. And it 
he really makes it a great car. And uh, Doug, he just, he helps so much with everything. He's always there, no matter what needs to be done. Um, Everyone makes fun of me because, so I'm not a mechanical engineer. And while I may be smart with electrical things and stuff like that, I'm kind of a dunce with mechanical things. So sometimes when the car makes a noise, I have no idea what it means. And I'm quite open about that, but I always uh, tell them when they think it's making a noise or doing something it shouldn't be doing. And he, he always believes me that, you know, it looks into things, even if what I'm saying makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> so it uh, just supports me a hundred percent and couldn't have done it without him or Steve. Steve doesn't believe me when I tell him though about the noises. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a list of some legendary brands and a long list of great people. And, Allie, I know each and every one of them, companies and people alike, are extremely proud of their association with you. Uh, you represent them well all the time, but winning championships is the ultimate representation. And I, I know they're very, very, very excited for you and uh, enjoying that relationship they have with you. So, uh, congratulations again. I can't say it enough and, and can't emphasize enough how extremely impressive your 2019 NHRA Stock Eliminator season was. And from uh, all of us here at the podcast and all of our listeners, we're, we're wishing you much the same in 2020. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I had a great time. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but uh, Allie, we're not done. Um, oh. We got a little something here on the podcast that we call Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire is just some kind of quick questions. We got to know you and and about your racing a little bit here through this interview. Actually, a lot of bit, but you can tell I didn't go to Cornell. But uh, we want to get to know you just a little bit better. And these questions help us do that before we wrap up. You okay with that? Yeah, go for it. Our rapid fire is typically five questions, but you were too interesting, so I had to give you six. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, this is putting you on the spot, and you don't even have to answer this, but I kind of want to know what you think. Better racer, you or Doug? <laughs> Doug. How did I know you were going to just take that humble pie and chew it all up like that? But Doug is he, very talented. He will, t- he will say the opposite, but... I think we both have our strengths and weaknesses, but I still would go with him. Awesome. What is your favorite use of time outside of racing, Allie? I love to read. I read a lot and pretty much everything. (laughs) I would have expected that from someone that got their master's from Cornell. You know, I've looked at your Facebook page. I try to do a little research on on my guest, and you. Um, I want to commend you. You're somewhat of a social butterfly. I like your. I like where your Facebook page goes. It doesn't all have to be racing. Um, you you talk about you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you seem to get around fairly well and and really put your life out there, which people they wouldn't have you on Facebook if they wasn't interested in you. So I. I love what you're doing, 
very good job on your Facebook page. That's just a comment, not a question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so with that saying, where's your favorite spot to vacation? Oh, I love to travel, and I don't go to the same place, or I tend not to go to the same place twice. Um, so if you were to ask me my favorite place that I have been, I would probably say Iceland. It was so much fun and so amazing. But if you were to ask me someplace that I'd go back, I'd probably say New Orleans because it was so much fun going there. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Two completely different places. (laughs) Couldn't be any more different, and I didn't expect to hear either one of those. So that helps me to get to know you, which we're accomplishing the goal here. Um, (laughs) Allie, what is a hidden talent that you have that would surprise us to hear about? Hmm. Oh, I can line dance. I love line dancing. There you go. That's that's probably something. That's a surprise. Very cool. That's a great talent to have, too. Comes in handy. Oh, hey, you never know when a country song is going to pop on and you just got to start dancing. It happens more often than you think. It happens a lot, <laughs> especially in Alabama. What is the thing <laughs> that you're most afraid of, Allie? Hmm. Um, probably failing at, you know, at something that is really important to me. I, it, failing is always scary, but I've learned to kind of think, (laughs) and it's deep, you know, but I've learned that, you know, if you're, if you, um, kind of embrace it that it's not really a failure that you're really just uh hmm, trying to think of the best way to put it it's just a learning curve then it makes it so much easier just to keep going this is amazing because i i try to guess the answers as i'm putting the questions together i try to think what will ali say and i this is cross my heart the thing you're most afraid of when I put that question down, I, I thought, Allie's going to say something like failing or, or, you know, coming up short of expectations or something along those lines. And you nailed oh, it. Oh, yeah. You nailed it. it. It's, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and it, it's not a bad thing, but it can be hard. And I just try to look at the bright side and kind of looking at things that, you know, some things that I think are a failure aren't really a failure, you know? <laughs> yeah, but another very good point, and we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I don't. You're obviously a Patriots fan. You you follow a little bit of football. I'm an Alabama, <laughs> University of Alabama football fan. So, you know, we, we kind of are in the same boat. Uh, people, people hate us because we win. They hate your team because they win. Um, yeah. <laughs> but as far as putting pressure on yourself, one of the greatest coaches that ever lived, if not the greatest, Paul Bear Bryant, said, when the expectations that others have of us exceed those that we have of ourselves, we failed. So you you sum that up your own way by saying that, but you know, that's what winners do. Winners put a lot of pressure on themselves and you overcome it and and obviously got the ultimate goal. So I loved how you answered that. Still got one more to Thank go. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. 
And this is just in case. I'm, I'll be 49 in four months, Sally. So the likelihood of it happening is not very good. But just in case I decide to enroll at Cornell or apply <laughs> to Cornell anytime here in the near future, I got to know the toughest class you had while you were there so I can avoid it. I would say it was um, computer design, which had to do with like a virtual memory of computers. So just to make a, a long story or subject short, um, computers have what's called both physical memory, which is real memory, and virtual memory, which is not real, but it's just how the memory is kind of rearranged to make a little bit seem like more. And it really took me a long time to wrap my head around how it was all organized and everything. And I remember thinking that I had this all figured out and then going into the first test we had and realizing I did not have all that figured out. <laughs> and then it was a lot of work to like refigure it out before we had to be tested on it again. <laughs> well, I just made my notes to avoid computer design when I apply to Cornell and obviously I'd be accepted because my, my education history <laughs> would they'd be fools not to let me in. But uh you know, I graduated probably in the lower twenty of my class of eighty three in high school. So I mean surely Cornell would be interested in me. Hey, but if you're looking for a fun class, microcontroller design was a blast. <laughs> Right, let me write that down so I can spell micro. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll remember that. Control is the hard when part. Get, <laughs> <laughs> when I get to Cornell, I'll remember that. Allie, yeah. thanks a ton. It was great to sit down and chat with you, get to know a little bit about you and your amazing 2019 championship season. We're all super proud of you. We appreciate not only you coming on here, but we appreciate all that Portatree does for the racing community and again thank you for taking some time really enjoyed your story and wishing you all the great fortune in the world in 2020 we hope to get to talk to you again next winter i hope so too and thank you again for having me i had a lot of fun and um definitely enjoyed speaking with you likewise ali have yourself a great night and good luck when you hit the racetrack again Thank you. You too. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day.
IHRA Sportsman Spectacular, presented by Haggerty and Moser Engineering, bring an absolutely incredible value to Farmington Dragway, March the 20th through the 22nd, featuring two $5,000 payout races in top, along with two $2,500 races in footbreak. Junior dragsters and street will be contested. There will be round prizes, Ironman for all the winners, and the ever-popular golf cart race. Now, the 5K weekend entry is only $150, and it's only $100 to enter for the weekend and footbreak. Come on out to check out the awesome program that IHRA is bringing to the table. Check them out on Facebook or at IHRA.com. All right, quick update on arguably the biggest event on the calendar in 2020. That is the Great American Guaranteed Million. The guys at the Great American Guaranteed Million have some updates, have some announcements. They are down to 67 entries remaining in the Guaranteed Million, and those spots continue to sell daily. There are seven, yes, seven, Gamblers races scheduled all across the country. So keep a close look out for those on the Great American Facebook page. It could be a chance to win an entry into the big event for a very small investment. Mickey Thompson Tires is on board as the title sponsor of the Great 48 bottom ball portion of the event. This landmark event will feature the Scoggin Dickey Performance Center factory stock shootout presented by SamTac. This will be a much watch, must watch portion of the Great American Guaranteed Million. Coming to Memphis Memorial Day weekend. Come and get some, cause I'll be willing to bet that you don't want none. If you want some, come and get some.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.